Welcome to New Consciousness Review. New Consciousness Review is all about the books and films behind the global shift in consciousness. On the NCR Radio Show, your host, Miriam Knight, interviews some of the most passionate and exciting authors and filmmakers she can find among the thousands of spiritual and progressive titles NCR covers each year on ncreview.com, an online showcase of conscious media. Miriam's guests are the thought leaders of the conscious awakening. They offer fresh perspectives on topics ranging from ancient wisdom to science and metaphysics, and from body-mind health to service and community. Be prepared to be challenged and enjoy the ride. Now, here is your host, Miriam Knight. Hi, everybody, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Frank DeMarco. Frank was formerly a journalist and the co-founder and chief editor for 16 years of Hampton Roads, a highly respected publishing house responsible for such bestsellers as Neil Donald Walsh's Conversations with God series. Frank authored five books of his own that centered on his personal experience and attempt to help others understand the purpose and potential of their existence. He conducts workshops on communicating with guidance and writes a monthly column for The Meta Arts, an online magazine. His past and current thinking may be found on his blog, Eye of My Own Knowledge, on hologrambooks.com. Today we're going to talk about his new book, The Cosmic Internet, Explanations from the Other Side. Now, how intriguing is that? <laughs> Welcome, Frank. Welcome to New Consciousness Review. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. We're delighted to have you. Frank, you know, um, I had, considering what a skinny little book it was, um, it took me ages to get through it because I had to pause after every page or, or even after every paragraph and just let it sink in. That's there good. is so much in this book, and I have no idea how we're going to even scratch the surface in the course of this interview, but we're going to give it a try. Well, clearly we'll have to go on for five hours. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it took a lot of work to make that into a little skinny book. It would have been much easier to make a big fat book. Yeah, I know. I know. When I write a review, it's much easier to write a three-page review than a one-paragraph review. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Frank, tell me, were you always a spiritual explorer? I think by, by inclination I was, um, but I didn't really start on my own, which is I think what really counts, until about the um, late 80s. Um, I, was in, um, I was in Norfolk, Virginia, and I was working for the Virginian pilot. I was an editorial writer there, and I went to the first Shirley MacLaine seminar for reasons that I explained in my first book, Muddy Tracks, because I basically had a miracle happen, and the, and the miracle got my attention, so I thought, well, maybe I better go there and see. And as a result of that, uh, I came away from that weekend, and I said, you know, she delivered everything she promised, including you're getting a sense of your own higher self. So I wrote that up in the Sunday newspaper, and, you know, this is 1987. <laughs> nobody but nobody gave favorable, not, not, in the, not among the journalists anyway, gave favorable uh, notice to anything metaphysical or spiritual. And as a result, that afternoon, all, the whole New Age community of Virginia Beach knew who I was because they had never seen that before. And as a result of that, Bob Friedman and I got met a few years, a few months later, and a couple of years after that, I left the newspaper. He left his current job, and we founded Hampton Roads together. Very interesting background. Yeah, I met Bob 
a few weeks ago. Um, the two of you, uh, actually, you, you told a very funny story about um, conversations with God. <laughs> <laughs> On my tombstone, they're going to put, he turned down conversations with God. <laughs> Luckily, you had Bob there to pick up the pieces. That's right. That's right. I, uh, my secretary sent the wrong letter to to Neil Walsh, and the letter was we had two kind of form letters, and the one she sent was one for the wrong genre, you know, and it basically said this isn't the kind of thing we do. And Neil Walsh looked at it and goes, "This is exactly the kind of thing you do. He must not have read it." So he sent it back again, and this time he got Bob, and Bob liked it a lot. When I read it, I was thinking, "This is the same kind of stuff I do. Everybody knows this stuff." which is pretty stupid, <laughs> but, but it didn't seem to me to be that different, you know, and it was just sometimes you, when you go along far enough on a path, you forget that not everybody else has gone on that path because it seems so familiar. You know, it reminds me of Paul Ray, the sociologist who coined the term cultural creatives about, what, 10 or 11 years ago. And um, he claimed that they comprised about 25% of the population. And it was the people who kind of were thinking about spiritual things, buying organic food, being more conscious about um, the environment. And one of the things that characterized them was that they all thought they were alone. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, you could see why, too. I mean, you must have felt the same way. Our Absolutely. society, the way it's organized, tends to isolate you. Although that's breaking down rapidly, I think. Yeah. But what I am finding, and in fact it's being proven in the publishing industry, is that body, mind, spirit books are one of the few genres that are continuously growing in numbers of books published. I, I think there's just a tremendous hunger for this type of information. People are looking for something that they're not finding in, in present-day right. society. That's right. When you, you can't pursue the wrong road forever without at some point getting a, a sneaking suspicion that maybe you're on the wrong road. And people have tried uh, everything that was considered respectable. They've tried consumerism. They've tried ignoring other things and just going for pleasure. And it, it doesn't work because it's not what we're here for. So sooner or later, a certain number of people. But, you know, I talked, as you know, I talked, I called the, the ones I talked to on the other side, I could just call them the guys upstairs rather than trying to, to characterize them. And the guys upstairs have said more than once, humanity is sort of like, you could consider it like a flock of, of uh, like a, a sheep or maybe a herd of cattle. If you have a herd of cattle and you want to get them across a river or a stream, the first few are very hard because they don't want to leave the herd. And it gets a little easier. But once more than half of the herd, or once more than X percent of the herd is across the river, then the ones behind hurry to catch up because they want to be mm -hmm. with the herd. Mm -hmm. And what I think is going to happen is the ones who have been lagging, when they see enough of us, and I don't know what that X number is, when they see enough of us, it'll, it'll turn. And all of a sudden, that will be the thing to do. At that point, we will start to be the problem instead of the solution. But we'll worry about that then. <laughs> Now, let's, let's talk about your book. Your book mm -hmm. deals with no less than the meaning of life. Mm -hmm. um, that is a pretty tall order. Now, how is this book different from your other books? Well, in a way, this book is a, is a continuing culmination of the previous books. Muddy Tracks was just the one that talked about how I went into this in the first place, and and how I began, to be, I, I wasn't really sure. 
I heard all the stuff, you know, new age people are, are always very fluent and they'll, they'll tell you with great confidence, this is true, that is true, the other's true, but I didn't know that whether it was or not. So Muddy Tracks talked about my initial explorations and then, especially when I was at the Monroe Institute, finding out, yes, these really are real abilities, you really can do it. Then a few years later, Rita Warren, who was a PhD psychologist, and she became a friend of mine and she and I did uh, 20-some sessions together in her house where she would ask questions. She had a whole bunch of questions uh, backed up in her mind that she would like answers to. Is there life on the other side? What's it like? You know, all, all of those kinds of big questions. I would go into an altered state, and the guys upstairs would come through. That became a huge, well, not a huge book, but it's an inch-thick book, The Sphere and the Hologram, and that is the transcripts of the first 22 sessions. Mm-hmm. This book, then, is a distillation of that, plus stuff that has come, especially since 2005, when I uh, took a six-month sabbatical from Hampton Roads that I never returned from, <laughs> but, uh, which was a very good career move, by the way. I, I recommend retirement highly. <laughs> but <laughs> this, this book I tried in just a few chapters not to do transcripts because it's a lot for people to get, but as you saw, I gave it mostly in their words, but I juggled the stuff around and moved it around to be just a few core ideas. Mm-hmm. Because I feel, and, and you know, I, I, I feel funny talking to you about it because I know you already know this, but we'll talk for our readers' sake, for our listeners' sake. Um, in our society, you've got the scientists who say there's nothing beyond, many of them do. You have the uh, fundamentalist religious types who say, no, you have to listen to what's in the Bible only. There's no personal guidance involved. And you have a lot of people who are just lost in the middle. And then you have artists and, and the creative people, maybe the cultural creatives you're talking about, who they want to know, they want to have their own personal experience, and I'm sort of in that in that realm myself. You know, if I, that's why I call my blog "Eye of My Own Knowledge." That's not as arrogant as it sounds. Joan Grant, a long time ago, said that in ancient Egypt, that's how the priests used to teach. They weren't allowed to teach anything they hadn't already experienced. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tried to hold it to. You see. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a society that doesn't know whether or not there's an afterlife. And if it does have opinions about the afterlife, doesn't have personal experience, it doesn't have any way for people to get the personal experience or even a way for them to think about it so that they can consider getting the personal experience, they look around and that's what we have. You have a society that basically is dying. That's, that's my viewpoint of it. I Let's... Think- no, go ahead. Sorry, go on. Uh, I was just going to suggest that we take a step back for a moment and go back to the Monroe Institute and talk about this whole business of remote viewing because they kind of gave a scientific underpinning both with the work that they did for the government and, and carried on um, scientific underpinning to this whole notion of communicating with other dimensions and remote viewing and, you know, we're not crazy. We really are talking to the guys upstairs. Well, actually, you know, the, the Institute itself is not primarily – people. many people still go there hoping to have out-of-body experiences because that's what Bob Monroe was known for. But what they chiefly do there, using sound technology, they get your mind working so that both halves of the brain work together, and then – by putting a slightly different tone in each ear. You see, both, both halves of the brain have to work together to make sense of what they're hearing. They, but also, the difference between the two tones can produce the equivalent of something in the brain that could never be heard by the ear because it's either too high or too low for our, for our range. Because of that, they can show you how to get into altered states on demand. And that was what was such a fascinating thing for me. That's what I wanted. 
the altered states are the important thing. The rest is phenomena because remote viewing is a, it's only a specialized way of getting non, non-sensory input. But in terms of access to guidance, they can show you where to go to get that, you know. And, and, and you know, I, wanna, I, really, I really should emphasize not only what they're doing, but what I'm saying in the book. These are all human abilities. You don't have to be special. You would have to be special not to have this kind of access. It's just that our society hasn't really trained people to recognize what it is. Some people get there naturally, but there are very few places where you can learn to do it on demand. That's really mm-hmm. what I think the big, the big thing is here. Mm-hmm. So when you go to the Institute to do a residential program, they tell you the only thing we want you to consider is you might be more than your physical body. In other words, they don't feed you any dogma. But you're not there very long before you realize that they all work on the assumption that you can get into contact with guidance. And it's nice because, you know, you're doing there with two, other, two dozen other people the group energy helps you to do it. And once you've done it, then you know it can be done. That's, that's the big, it's simple, but Absolutely. it's very effective. Yeah. So now the, the obvious implication of connecting with other dimensions is that there is a continuity of life beyond this physical realm. That's, that's right. And, and as you saw in the book, they have said, that the difference between what I call the guys upstairs or anybody on the non-physical side and us is mostly a difference in terrain, that you know, the physical rules are different, but that we actually extend into the non-physical, and we couldn't live if we didn't. For instance, they say that they're not talking about the brain now, but the mind. The mind is non-physical, mm-hmm. and they give a very simple, uh, elegant, I thought, uh, uh, sort of, um, example of that, they said the only part of ourselves that can go forward or backwards in time is the mind, right? I mean, you know, you can't, right, you can't right. go back into next Tuesday or last Tuesday, but the mm-hmm. mind can and does all the time. They said it's because the mind is in the non-physical world, but the physical world was created as a sort of a specialized area where certain things can be done, can be achieved while we're here for the, basic, for the, for the sake of what we can do when we're back on the other side after we've been to Earth friend of mine compared it to boot camp. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said that on the other side, Earth School graduates were highly uh, respected just because they had gotten through boot camp. And, you know, it's not easy to live in, in, on Earth. Everybody knows that. It, it can be very difficult, very painful. Yeah. But, I, I remember re- reading a book that uh, called Earth the only, only planet of choice. I know of the book. I've never read it. Did they say basically the same thing? Yeah that it is a boot camp and and it's a kind of a desres because uh this is where you get to to as you say be creative and do things that you can't do when you're not in the physical well and in fact you know they they said that although a lot of people think of earth as a school i just said it myself it's not primarily a school it's primarily a place to choose and choose and choose and therefore create what you're going to be um, well, that, that, ago, that's such ahead. an important, uh, important concept, this whole concept of choice, that I want to really dive into that. But we need to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with our guest, Frank DeMarco, talking about his book, The Cosmic Internet. Stay tuned for previews of more inspiring, informative, and entertaining shows this week on PWRN, the premier destination on the digital dial for intelligent conversation world-class music, and cool jazz. Hi, this is Mandy Morrow, host of The Night Owl Show on PWRN. 
Join me Saturday nights at 10pm Pacific Time, direct from London, England, for a very unique evening of conversation and music from around the world. We'll tour the tango halls of Argentina and the funky London jazz scene, from the talk of Tokyo to the underground of Ukraine. The Night Owl Show is a fusion of jazz, Latin, bluegrass, soul, Celtic, world, country and acoustic music. New releases and old favourites merge to create an hour of truly different radio. So join me, won't you, every Saturday night right here on Positive World Radio, the new voice for planet Earth. Hello, darlings. This is Judy Stad welcoming you to the Lunch and Judy Show. It's entertainment. It's fun. It's music that you haven't heard before. How do you know? Just sit down, put your feet up and relax and listen to a show like unlike any others that you've ever heard. You're not kidding about that one, Judy. Show coming up, we're talking about addictions. I am in recovery seven years and very proud of that. There are so many kinds of addictions. My gosh, this person could be addicted to shopping. Listen to Judy Sad and the Lunch and Judy Show on the Positive World Radio Network. Most business owners want to engage in social media, but they think it's difficult, time-consuming, and don't have the knowledge to maximize their presence in Facebook or Twitter. Does that sound like you? If your answer is yes, call Donna Kerr. She will be your expert in taking the hassle out of social media. For a free one-half-hour consultation, call Donna at 951-672-2968 or visit www.donnakerr.com today. We'll get right back to the show, but first, new pages on the Positive World Radio Network. I'm Jude Lundilly. Sometimes things happen to us that we can't explain. So many Americans report experience with a ghost, about 20%. 20% believe they've seen a UFO. 30 to 40% of us believe we've had some sort of psychic experience. Journalist Steve Volk, who has a ghost story of his own, wanted to bring the subject to light in a serious manner, without embarrassment. It's in his book, Fringology, not to be confused with the TV show, Fringe. Now, you, you also spoke to someone who believes in life after death. The main person I focus on is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who um, herself is deceased now, but she's, she was a famous psychologist who wrote On Death and Dying, the book that sparked the international and national hospice care movement. Her patients, they would talk about, well, I, I remember leaving my body and witnessing the resuscitation from above. And this really shook Kubler-Ross up because they seemed to be describing this accurately. Steve Volk's book is called Fringeology. New Pages is supported by StrategyBomb.com, the right ammunition for an explosive small business. StrategyBomb.com. I'm Jude Lilly from the Second Street Dreams Audio Network, a partner with Positive World Radio. Now let's get back to the show. If you like what you are hearing on PWRN, we invite you to become a part of our broadcast family. If you are knowledgeable and passionate about what you do and would like to get your message to a worldwide audience, then we would love to talk with you about becoming a host on our growing lineup of global voices. You are listening to New Consciousness Review. Heard exclusively on the Positive World Radio Network. You can learn more about Miriam Knight's guests by visiting the NCR online showcase of Conscious Media, where you'll find thousands of spiritual and progressive titles of authors and filmmakers. And now let's get back to Miriam and her guest. And we're back now with Frank DeMarco talking about the cosmic internet. So, Frank, 
before the break, we were talking about choice. And before we get into that, I would love to go into this whole notion of consciousness and that everything is alive and conscious and the, the, the sort of very difficult concept of there is only one being. You know, it's easier if you just change where you start from. Okay. We tend to look at that question starting from the physical world. But if you started from the non-physical world and you saw the, the physical world as a part of it, after a while you realize there can't really be a discontinuity there. There can't be what we tend to think of as dead matter. You know, you look at a filing cabinet and you say that filing cabinet is dead. Or you look at an, an, an acrylic fiber and you say, well, you know, it's an artificial world, but it's not real. It's not, that's not alive. I don't think that's true, and, and they've certainly made it very clear they don't think it's true. Everything is alive, but everything has a different kind of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something, if science ever comes to the point where they can accept that and prove it, it's going to change the whole world. But you know, let's see, I'm trying to think of the least woo-woo example. <laughs> trying to think of the example that will make me sound less like a loony than, and more like somebody who <laughs> lives in the world. Because it can be difficult, because people, you know, there's such a hard and fast assumption that a board, a tree may be alive, but once you cut it and make a board out of it, the board's not alive. I'm saying that's not so. If, for anything to be dead, it would mean that there was a difference in the world, that there was a, like an absolute uh, boundary line, and they're saying there isn't any such thing. Now, if that's true, I don't know that that means you have to treat a board in the same way that you have to treat an animal or a person. You know, every different level of consciousness needs different things. In fact, the guys, not in this book, but in the previous book, they went into that at some length and said the more external freedom you have, the less internal freedom, and vice versa. And they talked about a rock, for instance. A rock has almost no external freedom. In fact, they said it has no external freedom. You know, you can, you can take the rock and do to it what you want. You can pulverize it. You can do anything you want to it. The rock has no freedom. But that means that that, what you might call rock consciousness, has nothing to take care of. If you're a plant, you have to take care of yourself in certain ways. You have to find the nutrients. You have to reach toward the sun, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you're an animal, you have even more. And if you're a person, you have even more. The more external freedom you have, the more you have to sp- more time and attention you have to spend on the outside world, if you want to look at it that way. Whereas if you were a rock or a board, there would be nothing to do. But now, now I don't have any idea what they spend their time thinking about. What does a rock think about, you know? But, mm-hmm. but it is alive, and it is part of an alive universe. How could you create something dead out of something alive? It's, it's probably the shorthand way to say it. And I, at this point, I have no idea if that sounds even remotely credible. I've lived with it long enough now that it's really changed my my. Uh, the life that I lead. Well, I I think that there has been enough science coming out. In fact, I I just interviewed Lynn McTaggart a few weeks ago, who was the author of The Field, and she's talking about the bond, uh, this kind of plenum of energy that connects everything in the universe. She's Mm -hmm. also saying that everything is connected. And and when we... um, listen to the uh, theories of quantum physics, they talk about the the field of infinite potential 
um, and dark matter as being this this birthing ground of stars and matter and so on, it all kind of swirls around um, as this this, and, and you can imagine it as this one vast connected being. So again, I think if you start from the non-physical, it's a little easier to think of it that way. You know, if it's been, mm -hmm. if it's all been created out of the non-physical. It's a little easier to see that that a planet or a sun or a rock has has the same basic building blocks as you do, and I don't just mean physical um, molecules. Well, at the end of the day, it's it's all empty space with a little bit of light thrown in. Um, one of the most fascinating things that really excited me about. Um, the scheme of, of how things work that you, your guys, the guys upstairs laid out in the book was this idea of how we are comprised of strands of, of beings yeah, yeah. and the, the personal mind and then the group mind. Can you give us a little introduction to that, please? All right. So many of these things, by the way, turned out to be explanations of things they had given me years before that were in the sphere and the hologram that they didn't really explain. Like they say, well, we look at your mind as sort of like habit systems. And then that was it. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And they said the individual. And they said, well, the individual is kind of a convenient fiction. And then they left it alone. You know, so it, it took a few years to, to come to it. What they're basically saying is we in our consciousness are like ringmasters. We're holding the ring that in that encompasses all these threads, and they're saying there's millions of threads. And the threads are not all uh, previous beings, they're not all other lifetimes. They're traits, for instance. They're not all moral traits either. Some of them are like, you know, artistic disposition or red hair, you know. All of those things are all within us as possibilities, and nobody could ever possibly uh, 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 manifest them all. That's where our freedom lies. Did you ever, uh, in your lifetime, you know, you've had a, a long-time interest, and then you just sort of put that interest down and got a new interest? I would say that's putting down certain threads and picking up other ones. Mm -hmm. Or uh, sometimes the way just ends, you know. And you, like I, I, I went into learning pottery a couple of years ago, and I was in pottery for a couple of years, and I really enjoyed it, and then I stopped. And I don't think that was a, a tragedy, and I don't think it was a waste of time either. It's just I picked up those threads and explored them and then put them down again. Well, the same thing could be done in other ways. Um, I believe you were in computers, as I was in computers. And, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of thread I was very happy to put down after a point. But it was also interesting to have had it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what, I'm, what I'm not getting across here, I don't think, is they're saying that at birth, you're creating a new mind. You're creating a new soul, actually. And all of the, all of the elements that went into that are there as potential. Throughout our life, we choose, and we make choices and choices and choices. And sometimes the choices are consistent, and they build up the same thing. Sometimes they're not consistent, and they tear down what we just finished building up. Sometimes they vacillate. But at the end of the life, they say, the chances are you will have created your flower. That's, that's the way they like to say it. Meaning, by, by your choices, all of those things within you, all those strands within you that came together around you or within you, if they're used to working with each other and they've learned to coexist, that mind can then coexist and live on the other side without the physical body. If it hasn't coalesced, then, then it won't and it'll just go on 
into other ways. And I don't think anything is ever lost, but not everybody who has a life is is what they would say crystallized. Mm-hmm. You have to tell me whether that makes sense or not. But but. Um, well, you, you put it so, or they put it so beautifully in the book. I'm going to quote it because I, I thought it was beautiful. They're talking about the, the strands or the range of options that you're born with, that you come into to life with. And they say, it is your alphabet, your palette, your raw material. By your choices among the strands, you decide and create. The links you strengthen are the links you carry over to this side when you drop the body. The links you never notice or disregard do not. And I, I, I just thought that was such a vivid image, your palette, yeah, your alphabet. They've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. In fact, they made a comment once. We've done this before, and I just laughed. Um, you know, I want to tell people, too, that there is that, that humor between us. It's it's a nice, it's not a solemn book. They're very they don't require to be put on a pedestal, and I wouldn't put them on a pedestal anyway. And that is an aspect of guidance that everybody should should be able to have if they want it. You know, a a, com- a comradeship, not a not a discipleship. Yeah. So let's get back to this concept. So you have these three different levels. So here we are, sort of in in the middle. This ringmaster holding all of these strands of of potential of characteristics of even past lives and then we comprise uh, ourselves we are part of a greater group mind mm-hmm. now where it gets really interesting is that we can be we, we think of ourselves as being the ringmaster but we can be a strand in somebody else's life Yes. In fact, I was talking to someone. I was doing a radio interview, in fact, and, she's, and um, whoever it was, she believes in reincarnation in the traditional way that it's understood. And then when I said that, well, you only get one chance to be a ringmaster, she sort of was stopped by that and said, what? And I said, well, in your past lives, are they the ringmaster now? And then she realized it right quickly. You know, mm-hmm. this is our chance. This is our chance to um, to make the choices because the particular combination that that is each one of us can never be repeated if you now go to another lifetime you won't have the same parentage even if you were reborn in the same family half of the 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 dna would be different you know because there would be a different family (laughs) unless you live in the ozarks (laughs) but i mean mostly you'll you'll have a different family heritage and you'll have different traits you'll have different characteristics you'll be in a different time you can't be repeated nobody Mm -hmm. can be repeated Therefore, we get one shot at it. Now, having said that, when you're in a part, when you are a strand in another mind, everything we know can go into that. And one of the things that's been most fascinating in the past few years is to realize everybody is alive. You know, they're outside of time and space, and so they don't cease to exist. And when I contact a specific individual, like, for instance, Carl Jung, which was an amazing thing to me, He's as alive as he ever was, and he knows what I know. When you have a direct contact mind-to-mind, he now has a a window into 2011, even though he died in 1961, or in the same way. Yeah, I like the way you just kind of throw out when I was talking to Carl. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I'm going to be on the cover of Fruits and Nuts or something. but... (laughs) But yet, you know... I, I, 
and for some reason I'm immune to the feeling like I have to protect myself. I know a lot of people who believe similarly, but they, they sort of stay in the closet. And I don't do that. And, you know, if people think I'm nuts, they might be right. Who knows? But it's, but I'm not going to pretend. I think when people feel a little safer, we'll find that a lot of people have been feeling the same way, but it wasn't considered respectable. Well, one of the things um, I, I believe both you and I always tell people is that uh, what we're, we're – everything that we convey in terms of our understanding is only that. It's It's how – you know, using the analogy of the blind man and the elephant, what part of the elephant we're actually feeling and touching at the moment. Yeah. This, this is what we see. And it's up to the listener to use their own internal guidance, their own gut yes, litmus is, test. Yes, which is always there. If Absolutely. And decide, does that ring true? Do, and, and what rings really? true now may not ring true later as the, you the develop your own it. understanding. The guys have made a big distinction over the years between story and perception. Mm -hmm. And this is actually something I first learned doing remote viewing at, at the Monroe Institute, actually, come think of it. But you can perceive non-physically very easily. What's a little more difficult is when you've had the perceptions not to put a lot of story on it and think that the story is as accurate as the perception. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and, but, but we tend to do that. We always put story around everything because we have to do something to try and understand it. But the trick is to remember that the story is not the perception and that, in fact, our story could be entirely wrong and our perception is still right. Mm -hmm. that's, that's hard. A lot of people find that hard, I find. I don't have any trouble with saying, well, this is what I think now, and if I'm corrected later, okay, that's fine. And, you know, they, in fact, they asked Gandhi one time, they said, Mr. Gandhi, in your, in your newspaper today you said this, but last week you said the opposite. Why is that? And he said, it's because I know better now. <laughs> <laughs> if only our politicians could say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when you were talking about dark matter a while ago, it put me in mind of Congress, but we'll, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's take another break, and then we'll be right back with Frank DeMarco. Stay tuned for previews of more inspiring, informative, and entertaining shows this week on PWRN the premier destination on the digital dial for intelligent conversation, world-class music, and cool jazz. This week on Mango Tiger, I have as my guest Lou Backer. Now, Lou has spent more than 30 years as a GM, MD, and CEO in four different industry sectors, working with companies in America, England, France, Belgium, and Australia. He is founder and principal consultant of Adaptive Thinking, a training and consulting company guiding and supporting managers and executives in leadership, management, communication and public speaking. To hear about the man behind Adaptive Thinking, why it was created and what it could mean for you and your business, please listen in to Mango Tiger's Adaptive Thinking Real-Time Speaking with Margaret Stewart and her guest, Lou Backer. This is Marcy Newman, host of Mastering the Art of Becoming. And today our guest, Nancy Orlin Weber, is a master if ever there were one. Nancy has done an incredible job of turning the tables on criminals. You see, one time in her life, she was very much the victim. And now she chases those criminals from one side of the country to the next. She is the ultimate psychic detective. And her stories are fascinating. Make sure to stay tuned into this program and let it change your life 
forever. You got to act, sin, to it the positive, elimai. I need the negative. I'm Bruce Salen, and this is A Dad's Point of View. There is no such thing as quality time. I learned early on in my parenting that the often quoted notion of quality time was pure bunk. The only thing that matters to our children is quantity time, since the only time they will open up is when they are good and ready. You can't schedule time with your children the way you might with a business appointment. And the moments that will surprise you the most are when you least expect it. There is no such thing as quality time, only quantity time. Let me repeat, there is no such thing as quality time, only quantity time. I'm Bruce Allen. You can find me at BruceAllen.com. And please, be the best dad or mom you can be. Bruce Allen, that's what it's you. Most business owners want to engage in social media, but they think it's difficult, time-consuming, and don't have the knowledge to maximize their presence in Facebook or Twitter. Does that sound like you? If your answer is yes, call Donna Kerr. She will be your expert in taking the hassle out of social media. For a free one-half-hour consultation, call Donna at 951-672-2968 or visit www.donnakerr.com today. This is thinking with somebody else's head. Richard. Yes, I'm buckled in. I have my seatbelt on. I'm prepared. Every once in a while, when we most need it. This subject that concerns the spiritual life attract the biggest attention. Comes the scientific and spiritual wisdom to change the world. All of us, we are inverted, we are upside down. We see good as evil and evil as good. We see honesty as foolishness and dishonesty as smartness. I think what we're looking to do, I'm thinking with somebody else's head, is really offer a perspective on the world that's been lacking. Our link with Dr. Kepi Science gives us the tools to treat the problems of the world in a way no one else can do. That makes our program extremely relevant and profoundly therapeutic. And Kepi brings a light on this that the being in itself is good, beautiful, and truthful. Evil, sickness, suffering, restriction is just a denial of the true being. Inspired from the landmark science of analytical trilogy comes a radio program that explores the true human spirit, the most profound understanding of the human being in the world today. So we are opening the gates for the fifth empire, which will be the true empire for humanity, wise, humble, and very energetic, a true cosmic civilization. Available now on the Positive World Radio Network. Thinking with somebody else's head with Richard Lloyd-Jones and Claudia Bernhardt-Pacheco. Opening our eyes to the full dimension of human possibility. If we have 20% of people becoming conscious and opening their minds, their inner lives, you will see what power of consciousness is we'll get right back to the show but first spiritual matters on the positive world radio network i'm judla Millay. what do you think would happen if you or a family member had a mental illness and you went to your church community for help i think uh there's kind of a misperception in the church that 
that mental illness tends to be kind of a sinful thing, uh, and uh, so people don't talk about it. Dr. Matthew Stanford, professor of psychology and neuroscience at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. They surveyed nearly 6,000 participants in 24 churches representing four Protestant denominations. For instance, some of our other studies have shown 30 to 40 percent are told that there's no such thing as mental illness. It's just a spiritual issue. Well, what is the church expected to do? Much like with a lot of our health care that we think about today, really a holistic approach is really the best approach. And so uh, what you find in a person who has mental illness is when they're being treated with mental illness, for mental illness, and typically that would be with some type of medication and then some type of psychotherapy or talking therapy, the absolute third necessity is that they have a strong support system around them. Dr. Stanford says without help from their church communities, many of the affected families end up leaving their church and their faith behind. Spiritual Matters. I'm Judlin Milley from the Second Street Dreams Audio Network, a partner with Positive World Radio. Now let's get back to the show. If you like what you are hearing on PWRN, we invite you to become a part of our broadcast family. If you are knowledgeable and passionate about what you do and would like to get your message to a worldwide audience, then we would love to talk with you about becoming a host on our growing lineup of Global Voices. You're listening to The Voice of Planet Earth, the Positive World Radio Network. And we're back. I'm Miriam Knight speaking with Frank DeMarco, the author of The Cosmic Internet. Frank, um, you know, you talk about dark matter and light and dark. There, in your book, you talk about the polarities. We talk about the necessity for this kind of dynamic exchange between good and evil. Um, let, let's talk about that for a bit. All right. Well, what they've said basically is as long as you're in polarity, which we are here on Earth, and by the way, when they say on Earth, they mean in matter, but as long as we're in polarity, you can't have up without down. You can't have in without out. You can't have uh, good without evil, although we would always like to do that. And, of course, when you talk about good and evil, then you've got all these other ramifications, too, because there is, at one end, there is absolute good and absolute evil. I don't think anybody would say that torturing children is a good idea. No, not without being sarcastic about it. Everybody should know that torturing children is evil. You know, there's no excuse for it. I'm trying to make an extreme example. But on the other hand, many things that people think are evil are really because it offends their particular values, but they're not, you you couldn't call them absolute values. Um, The guys once talked about situational ethics, and they said, well, everybody lives by situational ethics. And I said, they do. And they said, well, would you want to be judged by the standards of Elizabethan England or Tsarist Russia or, you know, Attila the Hun or whatever? And I, and I realized, yeah, absolutely. Every society has. And it's because we can only, you can't pick good without evil being mixed in with it. If you could, everybody would. And then that would be the end of the game, right? But you have to sort of choose which evils you're willing to accept in order to get the goods that come with them. Because if you choose other goods, you'll get other evils. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, people don't want to hear that. And I, I can understand why they don't, but, but truth is truth, you know? If, if we could have only good and no evil, we'd have a lot fewer problems. If we could all agree on what's good and what e- what's evil, we would have a lot fewer problems. But 
even if there are a few things that we could all agree on, and I don't know if we, if there are really, I suppose there's somebody out there who's saying torturing children might be a good idea, you know. But but even if we could all agree on the scale, we're not always willing to accept what it means. Like, um, well, take sexuality for instance. In the West, a high degree of sexual freedom and a very low, a relatively low degree of sexual um, how should we say this? Not responsibility exactly, but you know the constraints on sexuality that are there by rules. Mm-hmm. Now that has both good and bad aspects. Anybody can tell you that. But the alter- what are the alternatives if you were in, say, a Muslim country with very strong rules? Even though they may not see it, we can see the downside of those strong rules. You know, and everybody can see the downside of somebody else's rules. Well, the the operative word here is choice. If mm-hmm. if you didn't have the option of choosing of of evil, then you couldn't make a choice for good. Um, and if you don't have free choice, how do we grow? How does the universe expand? I, well, I just have I just have this image of of the universe. Uh, refining and and growing through experiencing absolutely every every point on the spectrum i believe that's exactly you're right on point uh, in in two respects one it is growing because every time you have a new mind added to the mix that's like adding another knot to the macrame on the other side and the other thing is you you exactly you cannot you can't choose without choosing uh, you know you can't have free will without freedom but that means if you have freedom of choice, some people are going to choose in ways that you don't think are right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, too bad. <laughs> it's part of the mixture. And there's nothing, according to the scheme they've handed me, there's nothing more important than choice because the choice is what's creating the minds on the other side that, that is their primary value. Now, the we other thing... Time. Oh, well, go ahead. Uh, sorry, the other thing that you bring into the mix is the notion of time and space, that they produce separation and delayed consequences. Oh, good. That's just where I was going to go. Yes. And, and <laughs> particularly the fact that the present moment always has an exaggerated value. We, you know, we can't move off the present moment. And what's happening now is way more important than what happened five seconds ago or five seconds from now, uh, which, of course, you know, leads to a lot of problems sometimes. But that living our life on the edge like that seems to be what gives us um, sort of a more pointed consciousness and a more, uh, perhaps, a, a brighter consciousness. The, the guys have described themselves as being perhaps not quite as pointed as we are because they extend so much. But when they contact us, we sort of brighten them up. Uh, I, I can see it clearly intuitively. I don't know if I've said it in a way that, that makes that clear. Humans are like flashlights. And they are like star glow or background glow. They're mm-hmm. not they're extensive, but they're not as bright. We're bright, but we don't extend very far. And when the two connect, then you can have a temporary meeting of the minds that is that has the advantages of both, or maybe the disadvantages of both, for that matter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And certainly, the guys on the other side, um, you know, having been through the same mill that we have, to the extent they have, many of them, um, not are, all of them are not necessarily infallible, right? No, and you know, that's a, that's a very nice point that you bring up. They aren't, and they don't know everything, which is what I assumed at the beginning. You know, I, I assumed once you dropped the limitations of the body, 
you would know everything, you would be wise, you would have you wouldn't have any problems. And they are basically well, I think their answer could be summed up as saying, Yeah, lots of luck. Let us know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> but if you realize that you are part of them, that helps make that clearer. You know, when when you realize that we extend over to the other side and we're actually functioning over there as right now anyway, that that makes it both clearer and less clear. Right? You know, it, it blurs certain pictures, but it but it clarifies certain other aspects. When you when you think of your mind as being non-physical, which means you and I are functioning in the non-physical all the time, that may explain a lot of what goes on between the lines and when we're in sleep or when we're in a sort of a semi-comatose state, like being at work. You know, <laughs> um, all of those all of those are, I think, indicators that other things are going on that our conscious mind is not aware of. I think we're a lot busier than, than we look. Mm-hmm. Have I you ever know. experienced astral traveling? Well, as the guys upstairs would say, yes, but no. Um, um, I have... It's nothing to write home about. Let's put it that way. I have, <laughs> it's... it's I don't even really want to talk about it because I don't have anything to say. Yes, I have, but it's not uh, important. It's, it was important mainly as a means of recognizing that I, the limitations that are here in the body are not absolutes, but I guess my aim has been guidance more than anything else, you know, inter- interaction with the minds. So unlike Bob Monroe say, I haven't been an explorer in that way. But sometimes when I'll, I'll do a shamanic journey with some friends, and then, of course, that's, that's very easy to do that way. Mm-hmm. But it's important to me anyway, I, you know, I'm kind of a simple guy. It's important to stay with, with the program and not get diverted too much. And if I, if I were to go for those things, I think it would be more like party games than anything that's really inter, inter, integrally connected with me. I seem to be here... If I have any purpose in terms of other people, it's to encourage them to, to learn these things because it's all human abilities. It's not special. When I was a kid and I was reading about Edgar Casey, you know, especially Edgar Casey, but or, or Gene Dixon or others, I thought, wow, what a fabulous gift. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And then after a while I realized, you know, we've all got that gift. Everybody can learn to play the piano at least badly. You know, you can't necessarily be Mozart, but you can at least play chopsticks. It's like we've all been given these abilities, and I find that many people just require just a little bit of encouragement to do it and treat it naturally, and their whole life blossoms out open because it's a whole other realm that they didn't realize they were part of. There is a a school of thought that says that we um, are, uh, as a civilization, are moving towards telepathic communication even amongst ourselves, and that that's where we came from. And that's also, that's also the basis of communication with extraterrestrial civilizations. You know, they don't make any distinction between Earth and the other uh, planets. They say that we can be in direct contact with civilizations that are so far out that we won't ever know that they exist, but they're just as close to them and the non-physical as we are. And, and so it's an easy extension. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. another point I was going to make, but I forgot it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's out in the astral plane somewhere. <laughs> come back, come back, all is forgiven. <laughs> um, I do want to remind people that, to take a look at my internet site because I think that my blog will answer a lot of questions 
and I think uh, they might be interested. And if not, they can always go away, right? But the the fast way to get to it is through the hologrambooks.com site, and then just just click on Frank's blog, and that'll take you to I have my own knowledge. Right. I've been doing that for about four years now. There's a lot of stuff up there. What did you find most surprising in this latest round of information? Well, in a way, as surprising as anything is how my life has changed, how my, how my view of life really has changed in the past 10 years, almost without my noticing it. You know, I mean, I, I've become even weirder than I thought I was. And realizing that, yeah, but, you know, the weirder I get, the more close I am to real life rather than a very pale imitation of life. It's particularly when, when I retired, uh, starting in November of 05, that began a period of about five months where every day I sat down with my journal and I was contacting not only the guys, but then individuals came in. A past life of mine called Joseph Smallwood came in and I made a, a book out of that. But then I began contacting Carl Jung and Ernest Hemingway and uh, Abraham Lincoln, and, you know Joseph Kennedy. Uh, it's amazing the, the, the amount of things. And, and for a while, I was going, well, maybe I'm just making this up, but let's see what happens. And after a while, I became convinced, no, I wasn't exactly making it up, and it wasn't necessarily my idea. So there are other books. In fact, I've been working now. I, I just put away the first draft. I've got a book that will come out hopefully next year. I've been talking with Ernest Hemingway for over a year. And I mean, it sounds crazy. And yet, and yet, it doesn't feel crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. It it may be that it's really Ernest Hemingway. It may be it's my idea of Ernest Hemingway. It's maybe it's my making up the idea of Ernest. I don't know, but I do know. Just as you said earlier, you get the information, and then you have to look at the information. Does it resonate? If the information resonates, you don't need to have the social security number of the person who gave it to you, or the zip code either. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, anything anybody tells you, you're going to have to say, well, that resonates or it doesn't. I don't know any other way. You know, there's no way to get uh, bona fides. Not this side. <laughs> Not this side, exactly. <laughs> okay, we're going to take one more break, and then we'll be back with a conclusion of our interview with Frank DeMarco. Stay tuned for previews of more inspiring, informative, and entertaining shows this week on PWRN, the premier destination on the digital dial for intelligent conversation, world-class music, and cool jazz. Hi, this is Gary Namey, Work Doctor Radio here on PWRN. Join me this time for my guest, David Yamada, law professor, who's gonna give us a walk through history of the uh, employment law and why workers really don't stand very much of a chance uh, when you have to resort to the courts for getting any modicum of dignity. Please, please, please join me for the discussion with David Yamada from Suffolk University Law. This is Gary Namey, The Work Doctor. Hi, I'm Bruce Stewart, Citizen at Large, and here on PWRN Citizen at Large, gets beyond the shouting and looks at what's really going on in politics. This week, what's really going on in Ontario is we're leading up to a provincial election on October the 6th. Most people are enjoying summer right now, but there are three big issues that are lying under the surface waiting to be seized upon. Find out what they are on Citizen at Large this week on the Positive World Radio Network.
Hi, this is Alan Hollander, the host of Zentropolis Radio, where everything good happens. This week, we're going to be having a conversation with Michael Silverstein. He's with the Boston Consulting Group, and uh, he, he's going to be covering some interesting topics with respect to new values and the fact that consumers are increasingly interested in green products that are healthy, safe, and good for the environment. But most importantly, he's going to be talking about trading up. What does it mean? It's alive and well in many markets, but for reasons that differ from those of the past. According to Michael Silverstein, our guest, trading up has shifted from conspicuous to conscientious consumption. And you got to love that. This week on Centropolis with our guest, Michael J. Silverstein. I hope you join us. I'm Lori Bitter, host of the Business of Aging on the Positive World Radio Network, where we talk about successful companies who are riding the wave of aging in America. Join me this week when my guest is David Enns, creator of the Jitterbug Phone and president and CEO of Great Call, a mobile platform focused on connection, safety, and health. It's so much more than a cell phone. Please don't miss this conversation. Do you recall Stanley Kubrick's movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey, and that naughty computer named Hal? Are we there yet? Where our computers can so easily be managed by voice commands and provide human-like interactivity? These are questions I'll be exploring with Microsoft on my program, Generation Reinvention. Hello, this is Brent Green. Join me and Microsoft's Dr. Gary Moulton to find out if there's a HAL working on your desktop and more secrets about the future of computing in an aging world. This is Judah Freed on the Global Sun Show. This week, our guest is Matti Lorenzo out of Italy, who is going to talk to us about coherent healing, which is a method of using the bioenergetics to really transform oneself physically and emotionally. And we're going to talk about the various factors that lead to disease, including some very surprising things about some of the spiritual forces that are going on in the world today. So join us for Matti Lorenzo here on the Global Sense Show on the Positive World Radio Network. Most business owners want to engage in social media, but they think it's difficult, time-consuming, and don't have the knowledge to maximize their presence in Facebook or Twitter. Does that sound like you? If your answer is yes, call Donna Kerr. She will be your expert in taking the hassle out of social media. For a free one-half-hour consultation, call Donna at 951-672-2968 or visit www.donnakerr.com today. We'll get right back to the show, but first staccato on the Positive World Radio Network. I'm Jude Lanilli. Listen to the work of Czech violinist Josef Sue. He died last week. This well-regarded, respected, and popular violinist came by his talent naturally. His grandfather was a composer, and so was his great-grandfather, Antonin Dvorak. He honored this connection throughout his career. This is from Sue's album, Songs My Great-Grandfather Taught Me. 
Yosef Souk was 81 years old. I'm on my way to Abbey Road. Before the Beatles made it famous worldwide, the Abbey Road Studios started out as a recording home for classical musicians. The very first recording at the studio was this piece, Edward Elgar's Land of Hope and Glory in 1931. The studio is celebrating its 80th year with a composition contest. They're calling on composers to write an anthem scored for a choir. Winners will have their piece recorded at the studio with the London Symphony Orchestra. To find out more, go to abbeyroad.com. Staccato is supported by strategybomb.com, the right ammunition for an explosive small business. Strategybomb.com. I'm Jutland Nilly from the Second Street Dreams Audio Network, a partner with Positive World Radio. Now let's get back to the show. If you like what you are hearing on PWRN, we invite you to become a part of our broadcast family. If you are knowledgeable and passionate about what you do and would like to get your message to a worldwide audience, then we would love to talk with you about becoming a host on our growing lineup of Global Voices. You are listening to New Consciousness Review, heard exclusively on the Positive World Radio Network. You can learn more about Miriam Knight's guests by visiting the NCR online showcase of Conscious Media, where you'll find thousands of spiritual and progressive titles of authors and filmmakers. And now let's get back to Miriam and her guest. And we're back. And we're speaking with Frank DeMarco about his book, The Cosmic Internet. Actually, the tagline says, Explanations from the Other Side. And probably uh, for me, I think the most interesting explanation that I want to return to is um, this notion of the interconnection at all levels among all souls and strands of souls and group souls. Um, and you you kind of alluded uh, in one of your earlier comments that when there is a connection uh, or a shared strand, then it's easier for people to tap into and communicate with that strand. And like, presumably, you were connected at some level to Ernest Hemingway and Carl Jung. Is, is yes. that the case? Uh, yes, it's another example of resonance. In fact, the reason they gave me the analogy of the cosmic internet is because their physical internet is probably the first time that we've had a good physical analogy to the way the other side functions. If you get on the internet and you have an email friend across the world who you've never met, and I'm sure you have several, I think many of us do, you've come into contact with that individual because you had something in common. It doesn't matter how it happened, but you found, you know, if you stayed friends with them, there's something in common that, that holds you. And I think that's what happens between us and the various minds on the other side. I think it happens a lot when we don't know it. I, I recognize now that I've been getting guidance all my life uh, that I sort of just took for granted. You know, I wasn't thinking it came from anywhere. I just thought, well, this makes sense. When I found that my lifetime as a Welsh journalist in England, um, the man was a psychic investigator as well as a journalist, and, and boom, that, that hit. You know, And I thought, okay, this is why I've always liked to write. This is why I've kept the journal since I was 20. This is why I wanted to investigate and find out if this stuff is real or not. Mm-hmm. Now, the this is why is probably wrong, but the having it in common is right, if you see the distinction. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that, that uh, David Pointer was the reason why for my lifetime, but I do know that that life 
And that life may be, as I understand it, may be partly story. It may be entirely story. I don't know. But those resonances were there, and they have shaped my life. Same with anything, anybody who's listening. They have things within them that they resonate to. Mm-hmm. They've been on the cosmic Internet all their life. In fact, the nice thing is they don't even have an Internet provider that they have to pay money to. You know, the Internet comes free. Mm-hmm. But if you are connecting with something and you're not in their presence, but you do feel them as a personality, it's a very good analogy, really, to the, to the Internet. That, that's probably also why multiple people can claim an affinity or, or, or a past life with Joan of Arc or Napoleon or... Yes, yes, I think so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep going. Well, uh, how, how can we all tap into this guidance that you've managed to tap into? If you look in Chapter 4, that's what I, I set out to have three chapters of explanation and two chapters of how to do it. And Chapter 4 is called Living Connected, and Chapter 5 is called Shaping Your Life. And they're not difficult. They're really pretty simple ways to learn, depending on, on the, the barriers that people have within themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, one way to do it is you go to Civil Mind Control or, or uh, Monroe Institute or, or a place that will teach you. Um, and there are probably thousands of such places. But you can do it by yourself. And the main thing is receptivity and stop judging so much. First, you have to get the information before you can judge it. So let it come in, and instead of saying to yourself, this is crazy, you know, just, just say, okay, I'm going to go with this for now and see. And, and one of the things in my makeup that they have said has been very helpful has been that I have a high tolerance for ambiguity. In other words, if you can stay for a long time, if you can stay even weeks or months not knowing whether or not what you're getting is real or not real, sooner or later it'll sort out. But you may have to sit with it for a while to learn how to do that, you know, to, 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 to learn, is this reliable? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are worried that if they open themselves up to guidance, they might get um, dark forces. And I would say, okay, in that case, if that's what you're concerned about, come up with a protection ritual and use it. Uh, I think as simple as nobody is allowed to contact me who's of the dark side or something on that order would probably work, although I don't mm-hmm. know. That isn't something I have felt I've needed, and who knows, maybe I've been foolhardy and been lucky. But I do know that to actually open up is the only thing you really need to do, and then from then on, when you get the information, then you're going to have the same problem you have with the entire rest of your life. You have to have a problem, you have to have a process of discernment. Okay, I got this. Does this make sense? How likely is it? How does this connect with what they told me three weeks ago? And then go back and ask again if you need to. You know, it's mm-hmm. not. Uh, it's, I tell my friends it's easier done than said. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is, and, and you know that. Uh, but it's difficult to explain it, and it's difficult, particularly if people are a little fearful. I don't really know that there's an easy way to explain to someone who's fearful how to do it, and maybe we shouldn't. Maybe the fear is their own protection for something that would be too much for them. I, I really don't know. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the analogy that comes to mind, my, my husband uh, is a hypnotherapist and, uh, you know, people have this preconception of hypnosis that they've gotten from Hollywood and from stage hypnotists and they're afraid of losing control. But what they're really doing <clears throat> is tapping into their subconscious, 
which is where we spend a very large part of our life. And people go into hypnosis every day, coming in and out of sleep, and you know, many times during the day as well. So I, I notice in your book, I notice in your book you give these visualizations, and that is very much like what the hypnotherapist gives as he's inducing somebody to tap into their unconscious mind. So I'm sort of giving them self-hypnosis techniques? Exactly. And oh, and the I mean the the altered state that you're talking about getting in the Monroe Institute whether you're using hemisync uh or or just background music and the soothing voice of the hypnotherapist what you're doing is getting behind or beyond the critical barrier of of your yeah. conscious mind and moving into that place where you're receptive to hearing to feeling that there's one more piece now too they have said mm-hmm. that you could in a very real way the other side could be regarded as our unconscious mind because we're part of that mind we are the conscious mind and they may be our unconscious mind now i haven't decided firmly that that's the truth but i i'm playing with it and i kind of like the idea it would explain a lot of things that's quite a fascinating idea i know i'll have to play with that too down. yeah, yeah. no <laughs> Have your people call my people on the upstairs. <laughs> oh, oh, another thing. This is all very serious business. There's no place for jokes in self-development. <laughs> well, what what is your hope for for the impact of this book, Frank? I'm hoping that it'll move us further to the next stage that the guys have told us. Uh, somebody asked them once, what's the next stage in human development? And they said, you're already on it. That doesn't mean it's completed, but we're in it. And that is that people will walk around in their bodies knowing that they're connected. Now, if we can get to that point or if I can help to get to that point, that would be fabulous. Because once people really know they're connected, and not belief, but know, then so many things drop away. The fear of death drops away. The, the exaggeration on, on physical success and, and all of those other things, the fear of accidents and all of that, you know, it, it just changes. In, uh, in, I don't know how much time we have, but uh, there's that little uh, Walter Cooper quotation I really like very much that I had in, in Chapter 3. And he said, if you realized that the nurtured spiritual part of yourself would accompany you on your eternal journey and that everything else you have labored so hard to accumulate would vanish the instant you depart this world, would it alter your daily agenda? Now, mm-hmm. take out the word spiritual and say non-physical, and it's a whole other world he's talking about. That's what I'm hoping. Uh, that, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, in a way, it's like water on stone. I'm not the only one, obviously. We've got thousands of people doing the same thing. The water's dripping away on stone, and we're hoping to erode that, that hard barrier that pretends or thinks or fears that uh, life stops at the end, or that it stops here and then on the other side it's all heaven or hell and that's the end of it, or that it's reincarnation and it's an endless loop, the only part of which that matters is in the physical world and therefore you're on a treadmill. You know, there are a lot of, a lot of nightmares, I would call them, that people have because they don't have a really firm, intellectually respectable view of the other side or our connection with it. And that's what these guys, I feel, have given me. And they've given it to me, prob- to me rather than someone else, probably because I can put it in simple words. And I think you, you I hope you'll agree that I did that. They, they're not, uh, 
you know, highfalutin. It's just, it's just basic mm-hmm. common sense from a different viewpoint. Yeah. Well, I, I will second that. Your your book is very readable. It it, it does require contemplation because the ideas are so um, unique uh, and well, and yeah, really paradigm shifting. Paradigm mm-hmm. shifting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we should mention that people who really want to be enlightened <laughs> should buy this book in bulk. Probably. Give <laughs> <laughs> it to their friends. <laughs> <laughs> Spread the love. So um, remind us of your website. All right. It's www.hologrambooks, H-O-L-O-G-R-A-M-B-O-O-K-S, period, uh, another dot, com. No, no, dot, no hyphens in there, hologrambooks.com. And that will take, us, that will take you to the, um, the, the website, which is the blog. The blog is called I Have My Own Knowledge. But it's actually the URL on that would be uh, hologrambooks.com slash hologrambooksblog. It's easier just to go to the hologram book site and then hit the and then and then bookmark it, you know. Right. Well, I, I predict that we're going to be hearing a lot more about this book. So um, I I very much recommend it to our listeners. Well, Frank, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute delight and i hope everybody will go out and buy the cosmic internet by frank demarco No fear 
Free by Teresa Walker from Los Angeles. Teresa is just one of the PMA's growing group of musicians who are using music not only to entertain but to make a positive difference in people's lives and in the world. PMA members have music styles ranging from pop and rock to folk and jazz, all with positive messages designed to uplift, heal, or enlighten. To find out more about Teresa's music, go to TeresaWalker.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-S-A-W-A-L-K-E-R.com. And to discover more great music or to join the PMA, go to PositiveMusicAssociation.com. Well, that's our show for this week, and I hope you'll join us next week on NCR Radio when my guest will be Frank DeMarco. We'll be talking about his book, The Cosmic Internet, which has in it some of the most mind-blowing metaphysical information I've read. You really won't want to miss this. If you enjoyed our show, why don't you check out our community of readers and authors at ncreview.com. I'm Miriam Knight. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to NCR Radio. Heard exclusively on the Positive World Radio Network. If you missed any of Miriam's shows, you can find them on demand any day and time on her show page right here on PWRN. You can also download podcasts to your iPhone and take these inspiring shows with you wherever and whenever you like. If you have a question or comment for Miriam, you can follow her on Facebook at facebook.com slash ncrreview. That's facebook.com slash ncrreview. Be sure and join us next week for more passionate and exciting guests on NCR Radio. You're listening to the new voice for planet Earth, the Positive World Radio Network. Stay tuned for previews of more inspiring, informative, and entertaining shows this week on PWRN, the premier destination on the digital dial for intelligent conversation world-class music, and cool jazz. Selden shares with her innovative approach to personal growth called emotion education. Life itself is 
of always a mystery. But what is no longer a mystery is the profound significance emotions play in our lives. They are here to guide us, not mess us up, to help us, not hinder us. Emotions are part of our journey on this planet, the part that tells us we're alive. When you fully experience your emotions, you fully experience life and a more sustainable lifestyle. So be sure to listen to Good and Green Radio number 55 on the Positive World Radio Network, www.pwrnradio.com, and experience emotional fluidity with my guest, Joy Selden, and me, Susan Davis. Life is richer when you feel it. You're listening to Michael McCarthy, the Intentional Traveler on Positive World Radio Network. I invite you to join me on my next show where we take you down to Cajun country of southwest Louisiana. Join me for a wonderful show to that crazy region. I'm so excited. This is my debut show coming up, so I wanted to invite you to listen. I have a very special guest, Sally Lindley, who's a fashionista. So please tune in and listen to From Behind the Chair with Alan Eschenberg.